to say that. The podcast for your big questions. Get real answers. My name is Matt King. I am your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us this week is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Once again, I think the pre-show chat ought to be some sort of a Patreon mm. option. <laughs> uh, it, but you'd have to put a lot of labels on it. Yeah, many, many labels. <laughs> also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I have no idea what you mean. I was never here. A very existential statement. Also joining us all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. It's one of the things that makes the show work is that we all furiously like each other. So when we get together to make the show, there's a piece of this before we get going that's just, oh, look, it's these guys. Let's hang out for a little while. And that, yeah. that <laughs> invariably turns into ranting. What, what, whatever do you mean? And again, if you'd like to make enough of a donation to Bridgebox to make us all fabulously independently wealthy, that we don't need any other donors to uh, not horrify, then uh, you can get that very long, <laughs> very <laughs> explicit tagged show in your feed. Hit us up, bridgechicago at gmail.com. Now that we got the business out of the way, it's important, gentlemen, I think, to look to be timely with this show. I think it's important to Look at goings on in the world, things that are important to people, mm. things that have a massive effect in people's lives. And based on that, I'm forced to declare an emergency. Whoa. Whoa. What? Time emergency? And being Timely. that this show comes out on November 4th of 2020, I think it's the emergency you were all expecting. And that emergency is that I've recently discovered that there is an explicitly Old Testament branded version of breakfast cereal. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You pulled the e-brake there, Matthew. Yeah, I'm talking about food for life Ezekiel bread, mm. which comes in loaf form, in sliced form, and in hot and cold cereal form. A reference to Ezekiel 4.9, take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt, and put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the 390 days you lie on your side. I don't think you have to lie on your side to buy the bread, but I don't know. Well, you did say, Matt, that it comes in loaf form, and I was just going to say that I think the hosts of this podcast sometimes come in loaf form as well. We do on mm. Wednesdays. There's no doubt about that. Now, But this gives me a, a, an idea and an opportunity and the kind of thing I think we look for in this show, which is uh, to take a thing that's already a thing and then put horrible Christian branding on it because that's a whole subset of business. Right. Yeah, totally. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, you got your, your Christian radio stations and your Christian bookstore and your Christian clothing brands and all the what your Christian, you know, social medias and all that. So um, my I'm, I'm going to get some suggestions to other fellows, but I've, I've got some things jotted down. I, I think name wise, uh, it's right there. We go for Holy Foods. OK, very good. Mm. Very good. The parking lot is very sanctified, unlike mm. some Whole Foods parking lots, which are a hive <laughs> of anger and uh, pestilence. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, hopefully Bezos can't sue us. But I think uh, there's going to be some opportunities for branding, you know, maybe do a Trader Joe's kind of Whole Foods thing where we make our own products. Um, I think, obviously, we would have um, Reformed Corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you might have your, your uh, predestination pork chops. Sure. They were right. meant to be eaten by you for dinner. Um, sure. There's also the total depravity of flan. I love like oh, that. Oh, that's very nice. 
nice. Oh, yeah. I think an entirely totally depraved dessert line would be lovely. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I think the, the whole idea of you were predestined to buy this is pretty compelling. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's going to be hard for me to say no yeah. when I'm pushing the cart through the aisle at that point. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're supposed to buy this. I don't want to uh, derail my election as one of the saints. That's oh. right. Oh. Yeah. I didn't think I wanted these uh, rice-flavored patties, but being that they're Calvin cakes, apparently, <laughs> that's just something I have to do. Well, let me just point this out while, while we're going through this, because I, I like the whole idea of, of ripping things off. That's great. And the, the uh, Whole Foods and all that. But I'm reading the ingredients, because you send us the link while we're talking here for the cereal, the Christian cereal. Here. <laughs> Here's what it's got in it. Barley, lentils, millet, soybeans, spelt, and wheat. Now, um, I think probably the thing that that surprises me is I've never before had breakfast cereal with beans in it. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> that you I, know of. <laughs> well, they're good yeah. for your heart. You know, that's a, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a hard sell, fellas. That's what I'm saying is... I mean, if you if you drowned it in enough sugar, you, you might be make it edible. But you know, I I think we could just go the other way with this. Well, Fitz, if I can jump in because I think you're pointing to something really, really important here, and that is a complete lack of just reading slightly farther in the story that, that Christians are famous mm, for. So, yeah. uh, if you're a regular listener to the show, you may know that I'm a preacher's kid, and, and one of the things about being a preacher's kid is you know all the really weird, offensive verses in the Bible, and I thought I remembered one from this chapter, so I was just looking it up, and I'm going to read it to you because it's important. So, God is basically telling Ezekiel to mount a protest— against um, Israel. And so he, he gives them the recipe for the bread. And then verse 10, he tells them how much of it to eat each day. Verse 11, he says how much water to drink with it. Then we get to verse 12. Yep. This is from the Bible. Eat the food as you would a loaf of barley bread. So far, so good. Bake it in the sight of the people. Okay, everyone loves performative baking. Right. Using human excrement Uh-oh. for fuel. <laughs> wow. Verse 13. The Lord said, in this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I drive them. Then I said, not so, sovereign Lord. I have never defiled myself. From my youth until now, I have never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No impure meat has ever entered my mouth. Verse 15. This is God talking again. Very well, God said, I will let you bake your bread over cow dung instead of human excrement. Wow. Here's what I love about our company is (laughs) this is meant to be disgusting protest bread. The whole point is to set an example of how terrible you are and that God sees it. Only Christians would say, man, that sounds delicious. We should have some of that. <laughs> that sounds really good. That's our inspiration. No one will check the rest of this chapter. Well, now <laughs> we've got a whole new umbrella of the business model, because I think Jed has introduced guilt bread. Yes. Yeah. We don't have to spend time marketing these products to make you feel good about yourself, because the whole point is you're buying them because you feel bad about yourself. May I interest you in a delicious bowl of penitence porridge? <laughs> <laughs> it served lukewarm. <laughs> yeah, it is. Ooh, a self-flagellation frosty. That sounds refreshing. 
<laughs> I I just uh, I don't know if I can get past poo bread. That's uh, <laughs> I've run the ground there, man. You know you you should have thought that through. Well, you know what it actually reminds me of, which is a true story, is, and I don't know if you remember this, but several years ago, you, Fitz, you went to do yeah. a sleep study. And yeah, the yeah. place that you went to do it, you sent us all a picture where they had a Bible oh, verse yeah. pasted <laughs> on the thing. And the Bible verse is taken out of context. There's a little quote goes, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little <laughs> yeah. folding of the hands to rest. Now, again, that sounds great. It sounds lovely. Preacher's kid, I know more Bible than I want to. The second half of that verse, and disaster will come upon you in an instant. Oh, my gosh, people, read the rest of the chapter. (laughs) I think probably almost every time we've looked at Bible verses on this podcast, the first thing we say is, you got to read everything that's around it, put it in context to understand it. Well, and you think, do I need to keep saying that? Because it would seem pretty obvious, but uh, you know, what would make you, this, I'm sorry, Jed. Uh, well, I was, you know, what would make us all yeah. feel better is a little nap and some poo bread. Lee, go right ahead. <laughs> well, it's just weird because this, this company that it's like, it's like they know with the Christians, you don't have to try hard at all on the marketing. Like the, like the, the box looks ridiculous. Like the, the the box is literally has the entire verse printed on the cover of the box. Um, then it's the cereal is called sprouted whole grain cereal. Mm. The word sprouted just doesn't inspire, you know, like mm, yum, delicious. And then when you scroll down on the rest of the website, they've got some other amazing featured recipes. One of them is raw pumpkin pie. Wait, what? Raw uh. pumpkin pie. What does that mean? Does that mean you didn't cook it? Like you don't like what 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 are we what are we doing here? It's like we're gonna make this sound as gross as possible. <laughs> They'll still buy it because they're Christians and we told them to. Now the the sprouted crunchy cereal means that it's still growing inside your stomach. That's just good value. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's you're like, talking about the fertile soil of human feces, Glenn, yeah, that we've this cooked what this I'm over. Saying. So. It, you, you got your poo bread, and you got your, you wash it down with your cereal that's still growing in your stomach. It's like it's making more of itself. That's an incredible value. <laughs> you're probably logy from all that good eating. Now it's time for a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. That's it. Well, I really love Lee's point there. I think it's a very good one that... You know, because your normal health food stuff really goes very, at this point, you know, it's got, they know they have reputation. They go very far out of their way with the packaging, with the, uh, with the, the messaging to be like, Hey, it's, these are, these are substitute with cauliflower, but it's totally fine. It's the same. It's great. They're tasty. You know, this is this non-dairy whatever is, you know, it's not, it's not just ice cream. It's an ice dream and it's all, you know, Mm. the whole deal is going to be great. And somebody just looked like, man, they're Christians. They're going to accept yeah. whatever we put this on. Yeah. Like, it's right. bad. That's the selling well, point. It's unpleasantness. Well, fellas, this feels like a safe place, and it feels like it's on theme. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of fun over the last few years. I've gotten a little bit into doing, you know, some of the athletics, and it's been a cool thing. And Rhythmic I actually— gymnastics. Ab- <laughs> you know it. <laughs> and I want to introduce my own line of, uh, you know, kind of Jed, uh, uh, you know, uh, like— what do they call it? Like where it's the 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 athleisure, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So kind of my 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 Jed designed athleisure line. But you need it. You need a really cool slogan to go with it. So you know, Nike is uh, you know just do it, 
And I think Under Armour's protect this house. Sure. Lululemon is no pores. <laughs> uh, funny because it's true. Okay. So I'm thinking I want to take inspiration from our serial experience and I want to appeal to Christians. And I think that I want my line to be the Galatians 512 line with the catchphrase, go the whole way. Depending on how tight those leggings fit, that could really, that's true. really be appropriate. I'm it, just saying the phrase go the whole way is a direct quote from scripture in Galatians yeah. 512. Christians, buy it. But we need some context because Jed, you could be you could be selling leggings or you could be selling those really sharp kitchen knives as well. well depending let on me, the context. Let me give it a little bit more context. <laughs> yes, please. I wish they would go the whole way. And it's still great. That's motivational, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, go the whole way. There's yeah. still some. There's still some more context. <laughs> I, I not not I that I'm aware so. of. I can't think of any. I think that's basically the whole idea there. <laughs> well, I think once again we've solved another aspect of the uh, the retail sector in this country. And on that uh, statement, I think we're very comfortable declaring emergency off. Oh, when, when do we yeah. get our When do we get our brick and mortar store, Matt? With all the gilt flakes and stuff like that. Well, I have a feeling over the next couple of years, there's going to be a lot of openings. So maybe we can, um, maybe we can crowdfund some office space. We are, of course, if you would like to get in on either the, uh, oh God, we can't say this in front of anyone else in case we ever need to uh, raise money again, a version of the Say That podcast or the uh, the storefront where you can come hear that live show. We'd be happy to do it for you. You can, respond, of course, if enough of you sign up at missionusa.com slash bridgebox, we would love to bring that to you. We are uh, had a really cool month on Bridgebox, some awesome uh, sermons from one of myself, some songs from a lot of very talented friends, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. You can also, of course, join us on the social media, particularly at facebook.com slash Chicago, where we have a lot of awesome stuff going up, including every Tuesday night at 7.30 Central Time. We have our live yeah. Bridgecast, and if you can't join us live, wherever you are in the world, every Single episode is archived over at the videos tab at facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. I'm going to jump to our first question here. If you hang on this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down into your episode description and find the links there. Our first question comes in anonymously and it says, I was wondering if you guys could talk about judgment and decision-making. How ought we as Christians make decisions in our lives? How do we bring our questions to the Lord? How do we practice good judgment or improve judgment? And I, I love everything about that question. I especially love the uh, the realistic level setting at the end because eh, good judgment is a high bar for some of us a lot of the time. So let's at least focus on improvement. I very much appreciate that. And Lee, where would we kick this off? Yeah, this is an amazing question. Um, and it's one of the things I love about being a part of a show like this is that we get, we get this kind of, um, this kind of sharpness in the questions, but I would start out by saying this, <clears throat> and I don't know if this, if this speaks to you question asker where you are, but I know that, um, I know that kind of in my spiritual journey growing up in a church, um, this, this following information would have been completely news to me, which is, that God is not afraid at all to talk about what you really want. Like mm. whatever the thing you would most want. Like if if you had carte blanche on this on this question or this 
this uh, this thing that you're you know you're trying to make a decision about. If you got your way completely, what would it be? Um, there's something that I, I don't know if you're like this, but there's something about me where, um, and I'll even have this conversation. I'll even have this kind of thing going on with like conversations I even have with my wife, which we've been married over 19 years now. And every now and then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll share with her like, man, I'm, you know, uh, it's, it's on a weekend and I'm, I'm feeling really, you know, just kind of beat and, 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 and kind of over it and everything. And I'm like, you know what I want to do today? Nothing. The whole day. That's what I want to do is nothing. And my assumption is that she's looking at me going, you lazy sod. Like that is absolutely out of line. That's not what we're going to do. We're not going to do nothing. And she'll look at me and go, that sounds fine. Go for that. Go, go ahead and go ahead and do absolutely nothing. And that always comes as a shock and a surprise to me because I'm like, oh, really? You just are interested in hearing my side of the thing? That's mm. awesome. Um, so I would start here by saying, God is not afraid to have the conversation with you about the thing that you would most want. And I would go so far as to say that you and God have to have that part of the conversation. In other words, you can't front about any piece of this. Because what happens is, if we, if we can't be completely honest with God about it, then, then when you start to pray about it and talk to the Lord about it, you kind of get this attitude where you're starting, like, you're trying to finish the sentence for him. Uh, you're, like, you're trying to figure out what his perspective would be. Like, oh, Lord, let me bring this situation to you. I'm looking for an answer. I'm assuming that you would want it to be this or that. And all of a sudden, you put yourself in the place of what would God want out of this? Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that, but now we're trying to figure out what would God's direction be on this? And what would God's mind be on this? And the thing is, is that we are not very good at figuring that out. Um, the better way to go about this is to be utterly honest about everything you feel about it, everything you want out of it, everything that you're afraid of in it, everything that you're worried about in it. Just get all of that stuff out. When you've been totally honest with the Lord, it's a whole lot easier, in my experience, to then actually be open to what the Lord would have, have to say about it, like what the Scripture would say about it, what the, Lord might, what the Holy Spirit might tell you in your heart as you are trying to listen to that, that still, small voice. If we can't be completely honest about everything we want, if we had it our way, if we had carte blanche, then we can't actually be open to, to hear the thing that He has for us. The thing that I've found, one thing that I've found about the Lord, which I was kind of also sharing that story earlier that I've even found in my relationship with my wife is he's a whole lot more eager to hear what I want than I think he is. Yeah. In other words, he's a whole lot cooler dude than I think he is. I don't know if I sometimes forget these stories. And so when I'm going through the gospels and I find one of them, it's always so refreshing, but there's a couple of places one is when Jesus is leaving the city of Jericho, and he is, uh, and he has an encounter with a, a blind man. Another is a situation where he's having a conversation with two brothers who were two of his disciples after having a conversation with their mother. And in both of those scenarios, Jesus says a really, really cool thing to a person that comes to him with an inquiry, which is, what do you want me to do for you? Just that question. Almighty God, 
in human form, standing there in front of these people saying, so what do you want? What do you most want? What do you want me to do? I have almighty power. What do you want me to do? I think that that for me is such a refreshing thing to remember, that that's, that's God's heart is let's talk about it. What do you want? Um, we've got to be able to start there. Um, and then I would add to that that the Lord has also done this really brilliant thing with me. And, and it, it's, effect, it's affected kind of my growth and, and figuring out how to make decisions and, and uh, figuring out having an eagerness to go to him and to listen to him and all that kind of stuff, which is sometimes the thing that I really most want for myself is not the right thing, and he'll just let me have it. He'll just let me just go all the way down that road and find out that it was really dumb and it was really bad for me. And he just, (laughs) he'll just help me pick up the pieces at the end of that story. And then again, I am more open to, to his way, to his leading, to his ideas. Um, he has this beautiful way of being that kind of dad who says, what do you think it should be? And I'm like, well, I think I should uh, have it exactly like this. And he's like, cool, let's try that for a while. And sometimes that goes exactly as badly as, as, as you might think it would go. And then he's like, cool. Are we open to thinking about my way on this thing now? Absolutely. Cool. Let's, let's try it that way. Um, all of that to say, I think the place that we've got to be comfortable starting with this is that God is not afraid to have an honest conversation with you about what you most want. That's exactly the perfect place to start this off. And Jed, loved it to get you to pick us up there because I think maybe for a lot of us, particularly in kind of life things, when we think about uh, things in, involved with God stuff, we've never really done what Lee's talking about here and tried yeah. to own our own desires and our own kind of uh, what we might want. So maybe we can start off by helping identify what we, what people do instead and what the difference might be between uh, the things people try to do and what Lee's actually talking about here. Totally. I agree with everything Lee said. That was an awesome answer. Uh, I think that for a lot of us, and I think it's true for people generally, and I think it's extremely true for Christians. I think there's a lot of time they're not very well in touch with what they want, Mm. uh, or Mm. at the very least, they have a lot of kind of uh, alternate versions that are competing for space that are a bit different than than what they want. So I'll, I'll give you a few examples. One of the key ones that comes up all the time is what I think I ought to do. That's right. Now, that's, it's interesting to know what you think you ought to do, but that's not the same as what you want at all. Uh, and, and I don't know that, that Christians are always clear on that. In fact, the thing that I see often is that people take, here's what I think I ought to do, and I'll just kind of substitute that in for what I assume God wants me to do without bothering to ask. Um, so we have kind of an artificial version of what I think God wants, which is really just my sense of duty and obligation. The other thing that very, very often gets mixed into that same category is whatever I really don't want to see happen, whatever I'm afraid of, the thing that I would dread, why don't I just assume that that's what God actually wants me to do? And then I'll just, then I'll just do that. And God's um, out to get you, Jed. I don't know if you've heard that before. I I have heard it. I've also read the rest of the Bible and um, (laughs) that's, that's not true. Uh, it, it, look, no judgment. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of using a jokey voice, but I want to be crystal clear here. I spent some serious years in my life assuming that whatever I least wanted was probably what God had for me. 
that's not a biblical way to go through life. It's not a healthy way to go through life. And and if that's what you're on, I want to encourage you strongly to do a big rethink on that. Very, very strongly. But, you know, the other substitute that comes up a lot when we're trying to figure out what we want is just, what does my id say? What is my basest appetite? And I'll just assume that that's what I want. But that's actually not it either. And we, we get into a lot of trouble because we learn about concepts like the depravity of man, and we're told that the heart is deceitful above all else, which is true in a sense. And we say that whatever I least want to see happen is what God wants for me. And whatever the nastiest version of anything I think I could find appealing, that must be what I really want. But that's not true either. Um, Let's talk about food for a second. When you were like seven years old, somebody asked you, you know, what do you, what do you, if you had to pick one food, you know, for the rest of your life, you can only have that one food, what would you want? And you said, I want pepperoni pizza and I'd be happy to eat it every day for the rest of my life. But you don't. You didn't actually mean that. Like some part of your seven-year-old brain said, well, I do like pizza, so that that couldn't be so bad. But that's not the same as saying that you looked at life from all angles. You considered all the foods that you enjoyed and you landed on pepperoni pizza. It's just an appetite. It's just some part of your brain, that was the first thing that came to mind. That's not the same as what you want. The fact that a jacked-up thought is capable of occurring in your head is not co-equal with that is the thing I would actually choose for myself if I was just given carte blanche to do whatever I want. I think the difficult truth is that for most people who would call themselves Christians, they have not spent a lot of time figuring out how to determine what they want in life, Mm -hmm. area by area. They've spent, per Lee's point, they've spent zero time telling God about what they want, but part of the reason why they've done that is because they don't know what they want. I think to the stated question of basically how do we practice good judgment, how do we improve judgment, I think learning how to discern just what you want is a really, really important step in that journey. Because once we have that, we can go and submit it to the Lord. We, we can go and we can say, here's, here's what I think would be a, a good way to go, but let's talk about it. And Lord, you tell me and do all the amazing stuff that Lee told us to do. But If we assume that God has something horrible for us or assume that whatever just almost silly level of nasty thought occurred in our brain must be the thing we really want, we're cheating that process. And we're not, we're not giving God the benefit of the doubt. And we're also not giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We need to be prepared to dig a bit deeper than that and then have a conversation on that basis. Really, really excellent stuff there. And Glenn, I'd love you to close us out here. I think one of the things we we need to look at in this whole thing is a lot of the pressure that comes with decision-making and the, the idea that we all have on some level that we need that a good decision comes from having just 360-degree coverage and all the information and all the wisdom. And we talk a lot about using wisdom on this show to make good decisions, but you can't ever know everything, and you especially right. can't know what you don't know. So. We're always going to kind of be feeling it out. So how does that, how do we let God come into that feeling it out process to improve at decision-making? Well, yeah, there is a difference between observable uh, data that can be compiled in an intelligent way and a wisdom that can look beyond uh, your circumstances and beyond time itself, you know, to, to see how future events will play out. Uh, so we want wisdom as opposed to just uh, a lot of uh, 
just obsessively thinking and weighing things. Uh, the path to humility, uh, path to wisdom, that wisdom we're talking about is on the other side of humility. Uh, and that doesn't mean that you're necessarily pridefully walking around saying, I, I've got all the answers. I know all there is to know, that sort of thing. But it means with that humility is uh, doesn't make assumptions about anything. You know, uh, humility starts with, I don't know. I don't have any, how, how could I know? You know, uh, how would I, I can't see the future. I can't have any way of knowing uh, what God wants my life to be until I ask him. I, I'm making no assumptions because I don't think I've got uh, the the faculties that would allow me to make a safe assumption. So um, I'm just going to humbly go to the Lord and say, I, I have no idea what what this is and what it's about. Uh, can you explain it to me? Uh, so I think that that's important because really a lot of the bad decisions we make arise from those things you think that you know. Uh, assumptions might be a better word for that. You know, that you have an assumption about God. So as Lee was pointing out, you assume that God isn't interested in the things that you're interested in. Uh, you assume he wouldn't want those things for you. Uh, and so you just, that's a that's like a, uh, a you know, a, a something where you're conceding defeat on it. You're, it's, a, it's like a stipulation in a, a legal case. You're just acknowledging, okay, Lord, I know you don't want me to enjoy life or have fun, <laughs> or like have an abundant, full, rich life and uh-huh. all of that. But given that, can I, you know, maybe negotiate some other stuff that maybe I'd like and whatever have you. Uh, so what we're talking about here is uh, what we around here call uh, having a blind spot. And so it's an area of your life where you're not allowing the Lord to speak to you about it. And sometimes that's because there, you have a trauma in that area, and so you just don't want to look at it. Uh, and sometimes it's just guilt and shame over past events, or uh, sometimes it's bad preaching that you've heard that's made you think God isn't on your side and doesn't want good things for you. Uh, but whatever it is, that that creates a blind spot, and and so that uh, everything we're saying about uh, making assumptions here feeds into this idea of blind spots. But here's the key thing: you might, you know, you say, okay, it's, if it's a blind spot, then I don't know what's in there, so I don't know how to, you know see what's going on there because I'm blind to it and so forth. That's okay uh, to admit that and acknowledge that, but it's important to know where your blind spots are. If, if you can say, I have heard bad preaching, so I don't know what God wants for me. It's a big mystery, and it's an uncomfortable mystery, mm-hmm. but I know that I have a hang-up about that, and I'm not hearing the Lord clearly on that. And to be at peace with that, be okay with that. We're going to change it. We're going to improve it. But just get to that place where you say, you know, I have anger about this, or I have whatever about this, and I have guilt about it, and I'm not, I'm not letting the Lord speak to me about it. And I know that. It's a blind spot for me. And so I need to take that apart and dismantle that and explore that and take my time with it, you know, all of that. Uh, no guilt on those things. Uh, but recognizing that we th- that it takes uh, a, a, an awareness that there are areas in your life you're actually not receiving any direct input from the Lord on, and that's going to obviously create 
uh, problems. It's always those things you think you know. To, to give a concrete example, a few years ago, we had a guy uh, we all thought the world of was thinking about doing some urban ministry, uh, and he you know, was looking at that, and he was looking at a job offer from a wealthy church in a nice part of the world. And he said, look, you know, on one hand, I have this thing I know that I would love and that I think I'd be very good at. It would be very fulfilling. But on the other hand, I know for sure I'll be able to pay my bills if I take this job. Well, uh, that's what you call uh, an assumption. And you know what happens when you make assumptions? You make an ass out of you and Munchen. Well, he, he went and took that job. I went to see him maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, maybe eight months later. And he said this month was the first month that he knew for sure he was going to get paid. Whoa. Uh, the church had all kinds of financial problems. He was the first uh, one on the chopping block and his financial future of him and his children that he had there uh, was in desperate, uh, a, a desperate state of confusion and uncertainty the whole way through. He made an assumption. He felt like he knew based on the available data, what was going on. But that's not operating in wisdom. We we want to let the Lord show us what's coming down the line and where his provision is. All excellent stuff from these guys on a very, very cool question. We are glad you wrote it in. We're going to move on to our next question here. Came in as well and says, Hi, I listened to Say That episode 434, and you guys talked about legalism. I agree with everything that you said, and I have a follow-up question. I basically grew up with a belief based on legalism that I'm slowly trying to let go of. My question is, how should I respond to people who say that, quote, if it were that easy to be saved, pertaining to the stuff you guys mentioned about Romans 10, what's the use of the Ten Commandments or the other laws mentioned in the Bible? And again, another very, very cool question, both in the sense of uh, it is always good to have an answer for when when folks... uh, Put stuff to do like this, but also it's this is actually a thing that comes up very centrally in the New Testament of why the law is a very cool thing to dig into and understand. And Jed, where would we start off with this? Well, we're definitely going to be due for at least one, maybe more trips to the Bible Nerdatorium. But Glenn mm. refuses to loan me the keys, so <laughs> wow, I can't take dude. us there. So, Your privileges have been revoked. <laughs> I mean, with reason, with reason. So let me start us off with a little bit of the emotional side of things. And and I would like to boldly assert something. You don't have to agree, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. And that is you have been lied to. Mm, yeah. There are people that you trusted who lied to you. Yeah. And let's talk about lying for a second because it, it's important to, to look at a few dynamics. The first is it's hard to realize and own up to the fact that you've been lied to. Uh, it's hard for a lot of reasons. One is I think the human brain, whether it was created or, or, or evolved either way, it does not do well with acknowledging lies. It really struggles with handling falsehood. The second thing is there's an embarrassment to having been lied to, to having fallen prey, uh, fallen prey to a deception where we feel almost an obligation to try and convince ourselves that the lie must have had a point. It must have been at least in part correct, which is why I, I went with it. I was only I was only duped a little bit because I don't want to live in a world where I was totally duped. <laughs> Therefore, the legalism must have a point. But what if it didn't? What if it didn't? What if it was just made up crap? And I'll, I'll give you an example of, of what I'm talking about. So um, I my first couple years in school, I went to Christian schools. And then after that, I was... Um, Homeschooled, and this was 
way before homeschooling is what it is today. So this was mostly basically just Christian schools. We'll send you a curriculum and you just do the curriculum and, and that's the thing. And so I, I had a science book um, written by genuine scientists um, who went into the evils of rock music. And I'm going to tell you exactly what they told me. Uh, the, the, the first evil of the rock and roll music is nerve jamming. Uh, this mm. is uh, a literal phrase uh, that comes to us from those learned scientists, um, where because the rock music is is so loud um, and and so uh, cacophonous, it, it it just jams your nerves, and just any old thing can get oh. into your brain at that point. Mm. But of course, that's not a surprise because uh, rock and roll music finds its origins in, and I'm not making this up. This is a direct quote from my science book. African voodoo rituals. Uh, uh, everything. We apologize if your dog is in the room with you and is wincing in horrible pain at that <laughs> sentence. African voodoo rituals. I don't even know where to start in what all is wrong with those three words in that many, order. Many things. I mean, I assume Hades in Africa. I assume that for a very specific reason, I bet you can guess. <laughs> now, here's the thing is, I could say, well, I feel embarrassed that there was part of me that ever believed this. And on that basis, I'd like for there to be some kind of point somewhere in there. Mm. But dude, there's just not. There's just yeah. not. There's not even a confused understanding of scripture that leads to that. It's racism. It's xenophobia. Right. And in it. It's not really the greatest sin of the three, but it's just absurd. There's the asserting of personal aesthetic preferences being co-equal to scripture, which is just, wow, dude, that's, you really, you really went all the way there. When we look at the nerve jamming and the African voodoo rituals, there's no point. There's, there's nothing where like, well, you know, we can all be understanding that they read this verse and they just kind of, they took it the wrong way and they went a bit far with it. No, they, they lied. They lied. They, they made stuff up, and they, they did it because they believed awful stuff that had nothing to do with the Bible, and they really wanted to control other people's lives. That's it right there. Hmm. I mean, they so badly just wanted to tell other people what to do and make them do it. It's like that yep. was the thing that got them out of bed in the morning. Yeah. And that's cool. It's not. But that's cool. But it's not Christian. There's nothing Christian about it. There's nothing bible about it. There's nothing jesus about it. It's wrong. It's just yep. full stop wrong. And it's not like a well-intentioned wrong. It's just wrong. Full yeah. stop, the end. Let's now bring it back to you. You've been lied to. That, that's kind of bottom line. People have told you that there are things that the Bible says that it patently does not say, which again, if I could get into the Bible nerdatorium, I could break down for you, but you know. <laughs> well, somebody learned a lesson about wiping their feet. <laughs> <laughs> But here's the thing on that is it's important for you to give yourself permission to say these people lied to me. They were wrong. They didn't yeah, have a point. Man. I don't have to do the work of finding a way where they had a point to make myself Amen. feel better. You're allowed to say it was wrong. It was bad. Full stop. And we are on to something new. It's a very, very good point. One thing I often wonder is whenever the, the homeschooling curriculum that Jed was uh, subjected to in the 90s was written – did they just go back when hip hop became the dominant form of music that white parents were scared about and just like do a straight copy and paste yeah. and keep the African nerve jamming? Or do they look around and say, fellas, we need to dig deep here. 
we we wasted nerve jamming on rock. Now we really got to go for it. So these are the <laughs> questions that keep me awake at night. But a lot of awesome stuff from Jed on, on the meat of this question. And Glenn, I'd love to to get you to pick us up here because exactly as, as Jed is pointing to, not only have as anyone who's had this uh, upbringing and everybody who's I think pretty much everybody's experienced any kind of Christianity has experienced some pretty le- some version of legalism and some level of it. But it also kind of all the lies go in one direction, which in mm. this case, it's an interesting thing because it boils down to somebody saying, looking at eternal salvation and saying, well, it's not like easy, though. Right. And that <laughs> That's underlying right. thing is very telling about what we're trying to deprogram here, right? Yeah, let's let's just set our uh, our ears to listen for the word easy uh, and the disdain that people have for it. Uh, because I think that's telling you a whole lot. Um, well, Glenn, I read this part of this book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that I super didn't understand about how cheap grace is bad. And yeah, I, I really only read the yeah. jacket, but I pretty much based all of my comments on that since then. That's right. Ultimately, um, there are people, and you have met them, who want it to be hard to be saved. Yep. They want that. I want. For us to take some time, as as Jed has sort of introduced to us, and consider why the psychological reasons of why a person would want that, the mm-hmm. emotional reasons why people want that, um, they, I, I, you know, it, it's sort of I'm in this and I'm intense on it and I have rank in it. You don't, but uh, yeah, I have rank in it, and um, you know, I feel like I should have a say so. And who gets saved? And I feel like you know it's a it's a pretty low bar, and maybe we should you know make it a little tougher uh, to for people to you know come to it. You know, um, so let's start here, just as a theological concept. Uh, grace is silly; it's irrational; it is reckless; it is contrary to public decency. <laughs> uh, it is uh, it, it's just it it makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, I've gone out and done bad things, and I have made a mess of my life, and I go to God, and I say, I don't have anything to offer. Right. I, I, I am not offering to you that I will do something to make it better. I'm pretty much telling you, this is this is who I am. This is what I'm bound to do over and over again. And God welcomed me with open arms, and forgave me of everything, and made a room for me in his house. Mm. That's insane. Mm. Now, here's the thing about that. I don't care that it's insane because it's working out for me. Say that. Mm. Hello. If, if you people think there's something wrong with that, take a, a, a short moment to work out. You don't get a vote. Between me and Jesus on how this thing's going to go down, I'm getting a good thing here that I Mm. definitely don't deserve, and I'm about to have it and enjoy it, and I am not trying to second-guess it. I'm not asking what the theology of it is. I'm just simply saying, I got grace, I got forgiveness, I got all this that I didn't deserve, and I'm receiving it. I I came to the Lord uh, in my sin— with nothing to say on my behalf other mm. than I'm tired of my ripping and running. Preach. So where does this other attitude of, yeah, but that's just so easy, and then 
you know, how, why should this work? Well, fortunately, Jesus addresses this thing directly and explains it perfectly, and this is going to sound very familiar in terms of the attitude. Uh, and I'm opening the Bible Nerdatorium. Oh, wow! If, if just if you could put some uh, uh, sound effects in there, Matt. You know, just like a creaking door, and a, so like when people listen to it, they'll hear the creaking door open. The sound sure. of the the sound of the 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 dial clicking on the lock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This show kinda... is well known for its audio soundscapes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, it used to be when Jed had a keyboard like seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They took so, away my keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here. This is the story of the prodigal son. You've heard it a thousand times, except for the story of the prodigal son is kind of about the older son. Uh oh. Because uh, Jesus is telling this story to people who sort of represented the older son in the story. You know the prodigal son story because it's your story. It's my story. I I spent all the money. I screwed everything up. And now here I am. I don't know. This is it. And suddenly I've got a robe on my back and there's a party. So that's 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 the part of the story that you know because you've lived through it. Here's the other part of the story, and see if you can identify this attitude. Uh, Starting with verse uh, 25 in in Luke 15. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And the servant says, "Uh, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf uh, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, mm. comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My, father, uh, my, the, my son, the father, said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. That's the heart of the father. Uh, He's addressing this idea that you think your loyalty means you should get a better seat at the table. You should have Mm. higher rank. You should be receiving a, a higher priority. And he's smashing that idea. And I'm sorry for you. If you're that person... And you've just been a really good legalistic person. Like, you legalisted it hard. I, I'm sorry you, that you thought there was a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, but there's not, and you're going to get the exact same thing that I got for being a big, fat sinner. So, sorry, dude. Uh, here's here's the, the last thing I'd say on that that knits it all together. God is love. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible says, and that's what we need to be going for, by. When God says he is love, uh, he, he, he says that for a reason. He could have said, I am wrath. Uh, he could have said, I am the, the, the hammer of judgment. Uh, he could have said, you know, I, I, I am justice. Uh, he didn't say those things. He said, I am love. And I think it's important for us to take all this uh, sound and fury and all the noise about this and stop and make sure we're rooted and established in the idea that God is love, and that's how he deals with us. 
That's all excellent, excellent stuff and very true. And Lee, I'd love to get you to to pick up the the Ten Commandments aspect of this because I think as as Jed started us out with the lie of this, the a lot of these kind of legalistic things are set up, and particularly if you come to them young, they have an internal logic and a just enough of a of an emotional hook to sound like a thing. And I think one of the ones that happens on this stuff is it's pretty clear in the Bible and the, the, the structure of the Old Testament and the way we talk about it, that the Ten Commandments are a big, fat, important deal. Um, you know, they're carved on a tablet by right, God himself. Right, right. It's a whole thing. So the idea of when we talk about, you know, just grace being free and all you have to do is accept that, that free gift, the idea, maybe not that it's not that important, but okay, is this is this thing I just thought wasn't a big deal? Is that just nothing? And if so, why is there so much of the Bible that's built around this? But the reality is not that it's not a big deal, but that it's very crucial in a way that legalistic people aren't thinking of, right? That's right. That's right. Um, one of the big problems here, um, and, and I'm going to get directly to what to Matt's set up, and I, and I love where Jed and Glenn have both taken this, is that legalists are jealous of everybody that's not a legalist. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Because they don't like the idea that you got to try a bunch of stuff out that they furiously avoided or judged other people for doing, and you still get in. They really, really, really hate that idea. Um, what I did before we started this question was I set off a bottle rocket, told Glenn to look at it, and then while he was looking at the bottle rocket, I took his keys to the nerdatorium. Mm. So nice um, work. Thank you, sir. Let's turn to the book of Romans again. The question asker, uh, this is actually we which we love so much. This is a follow-up question from a previous episode where we talked about Romans chapter 10, where um the apostle Paul says, anybody that calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now that's that's dang simple. Um, I need to be saved. Save me. Boom, you're saved. That's what that's what Paul says in the book of Romans. But exactly as Matt's saying, what does that mean about the Ten Commandments? Why are they such a big, hairy deal? And so how, how can we understand that? So let's go back to chapter 3 for one little thing, and then we're going to move over to chapter 5. Chapter 3, Paul says this. This is in verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, and we're going to use law, um, we're going to use that to refer to the Ten Commandments. Uh, the, the law was the Ten Commandments and a lot of other stuff, but, but the heart of what a Jewish person thought when they heard the word law was the Ten Commandments. Whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, mm. through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay, so we have, in those two verses, we have two purposes of the Ten Commandments or the law. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick those up in just a second, but we're going to skip over to chapter 5 of Romans for one more little nugget that Paul gives us about the Ten Commandments. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> chapter 5, verse 19 says, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. He's talking about Adam and Jesus there. Verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass, which means sin, might increase. But where sin increase, 
increased, grace increased all the more. And we're going to tie this up to exactly what Glenn was talking about. But what Paul says, he gives us in Romans chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 5, three purposes of the Ten Commandments, because Matt's exactly right. The Ten Commandments are very important. It's just that legalists would point us to say that the point of the Ten Commandments is, this is how you qualify for the righteousness or the smile of God. You, It's simple. You uh, climb the Mount Everest of perfectly living by the Ten Commandments. That's how you get the smile of God. They're so important. But what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3 and then Romans chapter 5 is three things. One, the Ten Commandments were given so that everybody would shut up. He said, so that every mouth may be closed. He says in verse 20 of chapter 3, so that everyone would be conscious of sin. And then in chapter 5, he says, the law was brought in so that sin might increase. Wow. The purpose of the the Ten Commandments are vastly important, exactly as Matt said, but they weren't vastly important so that we would use them to qualify for uh, the smile of God or the approval of God. They were brought in so that everybody would shut up about how awesome they are because they would be conscious of the fact that they do not have any righteousness of their own. And in fact, it would in everybody's awareness of their sin, the more they tried to do it, the more they tried to accomplish the smile of God by works, by, by obeying the Ten Commandments, the less they would accomplish those laws and the more sin would increase. This is the point of the Ten Commandments. Everybody shut up. Everybody realize you need to be saved. And in fact, the harder you try to do this, the worse you'll get at it. That was the point of the Ten Commandments, my friends, per this Bible, um, per the writings of the Apostle Paul. In other words, this was the big—it's like in volleyball. You have a bump, set, spike. Paul says, we gave the, the rules so that everybody would realize, oh, gosh, I can't keep these rules. In fact, the harder I try to keep these rules, the more I realize I suck at keeping these rules. It's almost like I need someone to save me. And then he gets to chapter 10, and he says, anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the spike. Bump, set, spike. Ten commandments are vastly important. They were a setup. We can't do this. We need a savior. That's the heartbeat of this. Now, I would go so far as to say, you don't actually have to have this argument. You can do exactly what Glenn said at the beginning of his answer, which is you can say, Hey, uh, Jesus gave me a buttload of grace, and that's going great for me. How's your thing going for you? Because Jesus also said wisdom is proved right by her deeds, and I have all this joy and freedom. What do you have? So you can also just not have that argument, but if you need a lockdown spiritual argument, Paul tells us exactly why the law was given, which was to expose the fact that we need a Savior. That is absolutely right. It's really worth uh, repeating what Lee is saying there, that um, when we talk about things like, what do you say when someone brings up this? We are assuming normally one of two things. And one is, this is a question you have within yourself that maybe other people put to you and you think, I really don't know why that is. So maybe I'm not on the right path. So it's very important to have an answer in that sense. The other is what uh, would be called a good faith question. Someone who grew up the same way you did or is trying to understand something and is asking about this thing. So in both of those cases, these guys have given you a lot of good stuff to have that conversation, be it with yourself or somewhere else. 
But if it's someone just trying to stick it to you, you can, as I always, always prescribe, uh, not talk to them, leave, and instead use that time enjoying a nice ice cream sandwich. And leave one more thing on that. Yeah, uh, Matt brought up the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quotation about cheap grace earlier. And just, I I think it's worth mentioning that um, Bonhoeffer was, in, in a lot of ways, a great dude. But the the phrase cheap grace, as my boss pointed out to me when I first started um, uh, getting into this ministry stuff, is not in this—the cheap grace is not in the scriptures. The scriptures version of that is free grace. So, mm. Yeah. Smart dude. A uh, lot of good stuff. Um, not—didn't actually write the Bible. Other yeah, people oh. swinging a miss on that one. So that's important. Another thing that's in the Bible, as we point out here, um, is— it kind of exactly goes on what, what Lee is saying there, because when we talked about the legalism in the previous episode, I believe it was Jed made a very good point that one of the reasons for the law is because uh, you had to have a society. So <laughs> things like don't kill each other and don't cheat on your spouse and don't steal things. Uh, that's important because the, the Old Testament law was literally that. It was a law for a, gr- a group of people in the same way that the Hammurabi Code or whatever it was. But then you had all these people who were doing exactly as these guys are pointing out and saying, I am so good at keeping these rules that that makes me better at God stuff than other people. And Jesus actually, exactly as Lee's saying, direct, uh, addresses that directly in Matthew 5, uh, when he's on the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about things like murder and adultery and says, you've heard it put this way, don't do this thing. And a lot of you would interpreted that as, I don't do that thing, therefore I'm a good person and better than other people. But the standard is actually this other thing that is impossible. So you've heard it said, don't murder. I'm saying don't ever get mad at someone and call them a name, even in your own mind. You've heard it said, don't cheat on your spouse. I'm saying never look at someone who you're not married to in a sexual way. And you can imagine the person who's done all the rule gathering looking up and say, well, that's not fair. No one can do that, (laughs) which is exactly the point. You're all down here with the rest of us. Now, how do we relate to God and the world and each other from that starting point. And that's where all of this great stuff these guys give you plays in. We're going to move on to our next question here. It came in anonymously and it says, I want to forgive and move on from my past. I ended a childhood friendship recently, but I kept remembering past things that the person did to me that were not okay. My quote record of wrongs keeps growing. Although I know that first Corinthians 13 says about that. I cut off contact with this person, and I think that's the best decision I could make in this situation, but it feels like I can't let go of the pain I feel from my past friendship. I want to forgive and move on, but how do I heal from it? And Glenn, I'd love to get started off. It's a great question. I think we we often get the question that's in the run-up to this of someone has been treating me badly or a family member or something, and I what either what should I do about that or I know I should cut them off, but it's very hard. And I, I really like looking at this aspect of the, the immediate aftermath of I've made the action, I followed through on that, and now I have this wave of feelings that is, mm. I maybe expected some feelings, but maybe just mainly relief or I'd be able to move on from it. But I've done the thing, now I need to do the emotional and spiritual moving on. So where do yeah. we start off with that process? Well, I love the way you're putting that because this is actually how forgiveness works, is you peel away the layers, and the top layer is all the obvious, overt things that are just obviously wrong. But once you release that, you realize there was a lot of other stuff that was there that was messed up that you 
kind of weren't paying attention to because there was all this big, hairy, obvious stuff. Uh, you realize there was some sort of subtle, nuanced things that really weren't cool that you just didn't notice. You didn't you, you didn't have your focus on that. Uh, so forgiveness is always discovering new things that were wrong about this, and then giving those things up and forgiving those things as well. That's good, that's good forgiveness. That's doing it well. You, if that's what you're going through, you're, you're doing great. Mm. Uh, that's not the same thing as keeping a record of wrongs that's sort of you know uh, sort of uh, holding on to all these things that someone has done wrong and then using that against them that's and right. saying remember when you did this well now you owe me that, and that this kind of thing um that's different from being aware of behavioral patterns that are toxic and unhealthy that, those are very different uh concepts there uh you're meant to be aware of uh sins that are committed uh by other people and to be aware, especially when they're committed towards you. Uh, my sins weren't ignored. They were paid for. Uh, that's mm. a very big difference. And yeah. I have an attitude based on that. When we're talking about forgiveness here, I forgive other people because I recognize I was bought with a price. I, as we were talking about with the last question, I, I don't, I didn't get what I deserved. I got way better than what I deserved. Uh, my sins were paid for. That's a very, uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, cheap grace. It was free to me, but it was paid for at a very dear price uh, in, in the blood of Jesus Christ himself. So I have an attitude about my sin that I can't ignore it because that would be the ultimate insult uh, before the Lord who who paid that price. Uh, but that also means I kind of can't figure out how I'm supposed to ignore your sins. Uh, I can forgive them. That's what we're doing here. But uh, a lot of the people in my life don't want to be forgiven. They want to for me to declare that they never did anything wrong in the first place. Uh-huh. Whoa. That's a whole different animal. It, it, believe me, if somebody's coming to you and saying, I have horribly wronged you, and I want to make amends, and I want to ask your forgiveness, and I just I take full responsibility for this, and I will personally make this right. It's pretty easy to forgive that person. Yeah. If you're if you're dealing with this layer by layer, what's happening is this person thinks they're doing just fine, mm. and they want you to have the same opinion. Uh, so I think part of this is recognizing uh, that it's okay to give yourself permission to say, "No, this is just uh, this is bogus behavior. This is not mm. cool. This is not acceptable. God's not happy with this. I'm not happy with it." And also, it's just it's just bumming me out. It's taking me uh, into a negative place. I don't want to be, you know, I, I can choose who I keep company with. And, you know, if you're bumming me out, I, I could just say, eh, you know, sorry, dude. No. Um, but I think part of what happens that, that entangles us in this process is uh, how being wronged by people makes us feel about ourselves. And Jeff was kind of touching on that in the last question, but it it's worth looking at how do you feel, you know, if if someone says, you know, somebody would look at me and say, Hey, old man, I would, it would be insulting, but I I would be sitting there saying, is that all they think about me that I'm just an old man? I'm, I'm not, you know, you could have said wise man or, you know, a godly man or man who I respect. Why is it just, you're reducing me down to old. That's, that's the, some total of my being, you can see how very easily you're letting that 
uh, mess with your sense of identity, your sense of ego. Uh, and, and all of a sudden you're sort of getting that sort of a victim's mentality off of that of like this, I've been victimized and I'm a victim person. And I, you know, that becomes kind of my central uh, way of seeing myself. And I think that gets in us into unhealthy things. If you're, o- if you're forgiving somebody, you're overcoming. That's the identity you need to have is I've had a lot of weird and funky behavior in my life. And I just moved those toxic people to the periphery. And if they couldn't behave on the periphery, I just moved them all the way off of that back burner there, you know? So I think this is about having an awareness of how these things, this misbehavior makes you feel about you because that, that tends to entangle all this to where you're, you, you, it, it sort of triggers something negative within you when they you know, call you by name or you know say something rude around you or put you down in a certain way, and you you're you're already feeling that way, and this is amplifying that mm. in some sort of way. When when you're in that place, it's about recognizing that you have to deal with you on that and your own self esteem and say this person is is being a trigger to that and i first of all i need to not have that trigger so i'm going to move them again to the far outside of my life but it's also about recognizing i you know because you asked about forgiving and moving on moving on happens when this stuff doesn't trigger you whether it happens or not and that, again that doesn't mean you need to have this person in your life but it's about recognizing i don't want to have but buttons that other people can push in my life Excellent place to start off. And Leah, I'd love to get you to pick us up there. I think as so Glenn's pointing us to there, and it's in the question, it's, I think it's, it's exactly the way people are brought up to think about these things in a, a way that we might describe as, as people pleasing, um, just as a script. We're not using that as a derogatory term, obviously, but this idea of, I, I, I want to forgive and move on and then heal. Mm. So when you've had, been mistreated, you've had something traumatic happen, traumatic happen to you. I, we all have that impulse, you know, we've all, you know, you've, you're, you're supposed to, you've been punched by the other kid at the playground and you're supposed to, they come around and give you the, oh, I'm sorry. And you're supposed to say you forgive them before you're allowed to be angry that your arm right. hurts now. But when we're talking uh, in, in adult terms, if you've been wronged, if you've had a trauma inflicted on you, we, we may want to do some healing first and some forgiving second. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I love I love the way that you set that up, and and I think you know I think Glenn exposed a lot of really important things that are going on here, and I want to lean into a, a couple of those things, um, just some more. Uh, one of the things that that I think that we need to spend a couple minutes leaning into is, I think it's easy for. Christians to insist upon your forgiveness in a way that makes you feel like you're not allowed to feel anything. Yep. Um, and I want to, I want to call BS on that and we'll use Matt's definition, which is of course, biblically specious. Yes. We, there's another version of that, but you all have to sign up for many, many bridge box memberships before <laughs> we can say it. But, um, here's the thing is I would suggest that you have done a very brave thing and a very difficult thing, which is someone has hurt you to a level in which you have realized, I need to end this relationship. That's a very difficult thing to do. That's a very brave thing to do. 
Um, I would actually suggest that this is not so much about you not forgiving someone as this is about you processing trauma. Yep. Those are different things. Um, And it's important to realize the difference there. Um, I've got some, I've got some big, you know, just some big moments in my past where people I trusted really, really forsook that trust and really hurt me. And it would be really, it would have been really bad for me to just cover up all my feelings about that and say, my Christian duty is just to not feel anything. And I'm going to call that forgiveness. Um, I would actually suggest if you haven't done it already to seek out some counseling for the things that you've been through. Um, talk, I think talking to a professional who can help you process some of these wounds would really, really help. Especially if you can have that professional voice in your life that allows you to deal with the fact that your feelings are important on this. And the fact that you've got some feelings that you're working through does not mean that you're a bad Christian who doesn't know how to forgive. Those are actually different things. Um, Let me also suggest this. It makes perfect sense, perfect sense that you are feeling the way that you are now that you have cut this person off. What I mean by that is that when you're still in the shadow of that relationship, there you have to keep your guard up about certain things because you know you're going to be wounded in certain ways in relationships where people take advantage of you or relationships where people hurt you in certain ways. You've got walls up, you've got guards up. When you actually make a break and set a boundary with with that other person where you cut yourself out of that relationship in a, in a really strong and healthy way. Now you are actually safe enough to let your guard down. Now you're going to feel some stuff. And so this is not a sense of you not knowing how to forgive. No, my friend, you are actually, you have taken the brave, courageous steps to get yourself in a place where you're actually safe enough to let your guard down to realize that you've got some wounds. Um, I, I'm saying all that really in your defense that like, yeah, we may need to look at some forgiveness stuff down the road, exactly as Glenn's talking about, but a lot of what we're talking about currently is just processing the fact that you've been hurt by somebody. You've gotten yourself distance from them, which has caused you the kind of safety where you can let your guard down and feel some of the wounds that you have. I would. And so now I would suggest some professional help so that we can learn how to process this trauma. And after that, we can kind of move into the area of now, am I now holding on to anything that I now need to submit to the Lord or hand over to the Lord where I maybe do want to get this person back or something like that? Do I need to deal with some forgiveness? But I think we actually have a lot of other stuff to parse out before we need to look at the idea that you're a bad Christian who doesn't know how to forgive. That's an excellent, excellent place to take that. And Jed, let me just close out here. And maybe one of the things we, we need to look at here is you know, our friend in the question rep- uh, references 1 Corinthians 13 about the idea that uh, love keeps no record of wrong. And I think that's, that's one of many, many uh, verses that gets thrown at people who have been wronged. Um, and if we look at the actual, because Jed, don't be jealous, but I'm going to take a trip into the Bible nerditorium wow. real quick. What? Set you up. Mm. That you just is wait so outside. I knew he copied you the know, key, man. 25% capacity. We can only put the three of us in. It's just, it's for safety. Um, but 
so the the Greek word for like keeps no record is a, is an actual accounting term. It's sure. like you put that on your ledger. Now here's the thing, as we've talked about before, uh, to forgive someone of something, you do have to be able to name it, because just saying like you know I I forgive them for all the stuff, <laughs> as kind of as Lee's pointing out, if you went and said that to to a licensed and uh, credible counselor, they would not accept that as an answer and would push you to go a little further. So I think we, we may do well to draw the line between acknowledging exactly what was done with us and that being different than just holding on to it forever. Right. Dude, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, bottom line is you have to name a sin. You have to name a wrong before you can forgive it. There, there's just no way around that. I mean, even kind of, you know, life in just the, the larger secular world gets that in that you can't be pardoned of a crime. Generally, you're only pardoned of a crime specifically. That's that's the way that pardons work. You know, yeah, we 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 are called to to forgive when someone has wronged us, but we have to be clear that they have wronged us. Um, you know, there, there's just no way around that. And and I think that it's worth acknowledging that that process of holding them accountable, even if it's internal or as Lee is very uh, wisely pointing out, you know, with a counselor. That can feel unchristian because that can feel like, aren't we going in the opposite direction away from forgiveness? If I'm sitting here talking about, you know, how they did me dirty, but forgiveness is a process and it's a process where Christian culture has a way of focusing only on the very last step in the process. Uh, the, the, the last step is the, you know, kind of letting it go and moving on. And that's an important step, but that's not where we start. Uh, that's the very, very last step. If you, if you want to forgive, you have to name what they did. There, there's really not going to be a way around that. And it also sounds, these other fellows have already said this, but it bears repeating that the, the growing anger you describe that sounds like we're still working through the process of coming to terms with how this person hurt you. Um, we're, we're sorry that, that you're going through that, but if you want to get to a healthy place on the other side, you do have to go kind of all the way through that. There, there's not really a way around that. It's a, it's an unpleasant process, but, um, and if you're going, if you are still working on coming to terms, you're going to find like new sins that need to be named and noted that, that <laughs> they've done. Um, if, if, yeah. we're, if we're not willing to do that, that's really going to get in the way of the coming to terms process. It's also worth noting, uh, that this goes right along with some of the stuff Glenn was saying, misbehavior is a comment on them, not on you. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this comes up a lot when we talk about abusive behavior and I, I don't know if that would qualify here or not, but either way, when other people act crappy towards you, it's a statement on them. It's not a statement on you. Um, you may still feel embarrassed you, there. Uh, you still may have insecurities that are getting triggered and we want to look at those things for sure. But as a preview of coming attractions, misbehavior is a comment on them. It's not a comment on you. One of the things in the spirit of moving on that I want to encourage you to look at is what would it look like to develop some new friendships? Mm. And do yeah. we have a strategy to give people a low stakes chance to begin to develop trust? Because that's really one of the things that we need if we're going to develop some new friendships, which we should definitely, definitely do. So give an example. Uh, maybe uh, one of the things that your uh, prior friend did was to always make everything about them. You know, you say, gosh, I, you know, this is kind of a long day. I'm kind of tired. Well, I'm exhausted. You wouldn't believe the kind of day I had, which is a crappy way to act, but there are definitely people who act that way. So 
maybe if you're kind of auditioning a new friend, you can put out something simple like, I had a really long meeting today. And just see if they immediately try and one-up you on it. Say, oh, I'm sorry you had a long meeting. What was the meeting about? Aha! We're slowly building trust. Next time, I'm going to give them a slightly more personal anecdote about my day and see how they do with that. We want to build trust. We want to give people the opportunity to do that so we can develop good, new, healthy, vulnerable friendships. And and here, this is a preview of um, a far-in-the-future coming attraction, but I'm, I'm just letting you know that's going to happen is – as you develop those new healthy friendships, I think one of the things that's going to come with that is a sense of perspective. And I think one of the things that's going to come with perspective is a sense of actual genuine pity for the poor person who used to be your friend. Because mm-hmm. I think what you're going to realize is they don't have any friends. Um, mm-hmm. Now that I have like actual friends, I realize nobody who acts the way that they do has friends. They're a terribly lonely, unhappy person. That doesn't excuse anything. It doesn't make any of the bad stuff that they've done okay, and it doesn't make it have hurt me any less, but it does give me a sense of what all this was. This is just a bitter, lonely, unhappy person, and golly gee, I'm going to be praying for him. I think in the fullness of time, that's where a lot of this is going to land, but we can't jump straight to that. We have to work through the phase that we are at, which again, it sounds like for you right now is coming to terms with how this person hurt you. And that's going to boil down with yourself and with the Lord. And again, I think leaving a great idea of with a counselor of talking through what they did and naming the things that they did to hurt you. All excellent, excellent stuff from all of these guys on that question. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com or the bridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that totally anonymous we're going to take out the song this week. But before we do that, I'm going to remind you that you can head over to missionusa.com slash bridgebox and sign up for Bridgebox there. You can also join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time for the live Bridgecast at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. We're going to take you out with a brand new hip-hop track from our friend Nigeria's own Ezekiel Walker Woo. called Dialogue. Thanks for Woo. listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast, taking the brave theological stance that cereal should have no beans and that bread should be made in an oven. (laughs) (laughs) Thoughts in my head, words in my mind, I'm feeling like, ooh, ah, thoughts in my head, it's a dollar, dollar, uh, words in my mind, it's a dollar, dollar, uh, thoughts in my head, words in my mind, I'm feeling like, ooh, ah, thoughts in my head, it's a dollar, dollar, uh, What's on my mind? It's a dollar, dollar, uh. And here we go again, and here we are again. Doing the things that we said we never do again. I try to make this right, but it often seems hot. But it be the guys that my back leaning so hard. Yeah, I know I said I never tell you lie again. Of course, I know I told my dad I never steal again. But here we are again, doing it all again. All up his head, I never wanna do this all again. Words in my head, words in my mind. I'm feeling like, ooh, ah. Thoughts in my head, it's a dollar, dollar, uh. What's in my mind is a dollar, dollar, uh. Thoughts in my head, what's in my mind? I'm feeling like, ooh, ah. Thoughts in my head is a dollar, dollar, uh. What's in my mind is a dollar, dollar, uh. Who's there? It's me, God. Can you hear me knocking? Please open up the door. I know you're doing things you thought you never should have done. And I ain't confused in your mind. I don't get those things back on track. Well, it's a bit easy. That's if you wanted to. Pick up your cross, boy. Come and let us take a walk. Uh, I see your rights. And I see your wrongs. I see the truth in your lies. And I see no.
the body by your side. But I'm with you when you're all alone. Just like the mirror will correct you when you're looking wrong. This one's wrong, but you can make them right. You've got a choice of two, but I better choose right. To put in yourself, love the answers that you ask for. Even the question that would determine your future. It takes a lie, you have to leave a lie. That's for your scene. So better be careful with the things you do and with the one you say. You'll be the same thing that will judge you on the final day. Judge me on the final day. Man, you mean to judge me on the final day? Words in my head, words in my mind. I'm feeling like, ooh, ah, thoughts in my head. It's the dollar, dollar, uh. What's in my mind is the dollar, dollar. Thoughts in my head, what's in my mind? I'm feeling like ooh, ah. Thoughts in my head is the dollar, dollar. What's in my mind is the dollar, dollar. Who's this? It's the only one that can make you a superstar. To be the famous kid that you have always wanna be. Do you really think you want the money and the fame? Then follow me like a real truck driver. Follow my lead just the way you did it back in school. Then under your feet lies all the money and the fame. And you could really be a gin in the hood. But that's if you stick to my rules. When you got me, you got a whole world in your hands. You know what time it is? It is the time for club the girls in your lap. You can play the guitar. Homies on you, you got bodies on you. You ring around the world like a merry-go-round. You hear your name, but on the TV and the radio. But without my lead, you just footless, footless. Without the girls, you just classless, classless. Without the swag, you just breathless. Show without the money and the fame, you just lifeless. I will never be the same by all the lies you tell. Just us, it's my decision, and there is no hesitation. 'Cause it's the only solution, so I don't need distraction. They said it was a test to make me try my best to be the best among the rest, and now I'm trying to be out of it. What about the money and the girls? What's in good enough? What about cash and more fame? Cash and more fame. Men dying, what my soul? Men are broke. Me off the side, was I trusting what they said? But then the country, then the power, lost the money, the girls, and the cash, and the fame. I want big joke and just to paint yourself another lie. The liar who you were before is still the liar who you are today. I can't trust you both, man. You wanna take my soul, drag me to hell, and then you make me smoke and burn. You know what, bro? Let's back it up a little bit. Let's stop this conversation, 'cause I know your type. I know who you are. You're a liar, and I know you were cast down from heaven. And you know what? I'll be taking your place right next to the Father, 'cause I'm heir. So I'ma give you a little piece of advice, bro. Just go to the hell where you belong and stop calling my phone.